one knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And welcome everybody to another edition of the show. Uh, I'll give you. I'll throw out three names here. Femi Fashaken, Howard Mash, Luis Zidane. What do they have in common? Yes, sir. Those are all three slum donkeys, local boys from the Hard Rock who just won bracelets at the World Series. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people might be able to answer the question. They're bracelet winners in the 2019 World Series of Poker, but what they didn't know, three slum donkeys. Absolutely. What's a slum donkey? So slum donkeys is a chat group uh, started by Jack Sumner up in Jacksonville. bunch of local players who who will analyze hand histories, support each other, root each other on when they're in a tournament, and it's just a great group of guys and gals who play poker and, and want to improve at all different skill levels. Mostly Floridians? Mostly Floridians, uh-huh. Yeah, but you don't have to be. No. You're just kind of a little social group on Facebook? Uh, on WhatsApp. Facebook? On WhatsApp, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was aware of the group, and I've seen a few posts here and there. But you guys are pretty close, really, because you do a lot of talking about poker, right? A lot, of, a lot of talking about poker, and to have three members of the group win bracelets this summer at the World Series is unbelievable. And the summer's not over, right? It's, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt like Florida got off to a little bit of a slow start, and then the grinder led the way. He wins another bracelet. Right. Uh, he wins uh, in the fifteen hundred. Uh, uh, was it uh, seven stud high? Seven low. stud. Yeah, eight or better. And. Uh, so and Robbie almost won. Robbie yeah, got close. He's been deep a couple times. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, guys from the local area, uh, not necessarily live here, but I looked at this list, and I, a lot of these names I recognize from coming down for the tournaments may live in different parts of the state and drive down here. Uh, you know, the Sean Shaw is doing very well. I'm sure you know him. Uh, Sean is a slum donkey also. And uh, I'm just looking at the slum donkey list. Perry yeah. Shaw. Uh, who won the uh, the Millie Maker, I guess. Right, the first ago. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa Singh, uh, who I've interviewed f- on the show before, and just a lot of players that, that you would know just from seeing their face, uh, you know, whether you have talked with them personally or not, I guess, is, is, is something pretty cool. Is it related at all to s- uh, flop Poker? No. To- uh, separate, Co- although Reeboks although Kobe's in, Kobe is he in is. the Slow I, Ducky. I did yep. see him. Um, some of the players from um, SoFlo, but no, it's not related. Uh, I must introduce you, Michael Tate, uh, for yes. our audience, uh, How are you? for people who listen to the show. Uh, Michael's <laughs> been on several times, co-hosted the show, and filled in for Joe a few times. Joe is out of town. He's up at a Yankee game in New York, I think. So uh, Michael has agreed to come in and talk about the World Series of Poker because you are headed out to the main event in a couple of weeks. Yes. Now, what I really wanted to talk about was all the fun things we, we, we relate to us about what it's like out there at the Rio uh, for the series, usually you go out for a couple different times for several different tournaments, but this year you're only going for the main. Only for the main. Uh, but the Rio is uh, absolutely jam-packed this year because it's the 50th anniversary of the World Series. The first event that Femi won had about 28,000 entries, and uh, I understand that the bathroom lines were <laughs> crazy, like with ropes around in the hallways. and uh, it, it Just a, a great uh, atmosphere out there at the Rio which uh, we don't know if it's going to be at the Rio again next year. But this year, uh, it, it's it's a great place to be. Uh, I didn't make it out for any of the preliminaries, but I will be there for the main, and I'll take my shot. And uh, the reason that that was such a huge tournament is not because 
people are so excited about the 50th anniversary of the World Series. It's really well, the price of the tournament. Well, it was a $500 buy-in with no rake on the first entry, and it was also 50,000 chips, which was a much different uh, tournament than the Colossus, which it was replacing. Or, uh, and which was kind of a turbo? A turbo with 5,000 starting stack, and, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. But with 50,000 chips, you could you could play in longer levels, and it, it gave people a chance. And the, for Femi to go and win a million one is just, that's just amazing. Life-changing for him, life-changing for Howard Mash to win 660,000. Who won the seniors tournament uh, just over the weekend. Uh, he's another guy who plays a lot down here. We'll talk about his uh, win a little bit. And Luis Sedan uh, is from uh, El Salvador, uh, lives in Miami, uh, I guess most of his life. I don't know when he moved to the United States. But, but uh, plays a lot of tournaments at the Island, the Hard Rock. If you play a tournament, you'll see him there. He's always got a smile on his face. So does Howard. I mean, these are just good guys who lightning struck, and they won a tournament. It's great. You know, I looked up the Hendon mob on uh, Luis, and uh, he had career earnings of about 60000 maybe just a little above that. Uh, won 236000 for winning uh, this event, and said that I was the happiest guy in the tournament. Everybody I, t- I talked to said I was the I was the happiest guy there. And yeah. uh, so he had fun the whole time, which is the way to win a tournament. And, and that's the way he is at the Hard Rock Tour, the Isle. If you see him down here, he's he's happy at the table. Got a great uh, uh, demeanor at the table, and, and, and so does Howard. And I think Femi is the same way. I've played in tournaments with Femi, but not at the same table. But I've played a lot with, with Howard and, and, and Luis. Is there any jerks in the Slum Donkey? Any jerks in the group? <laughs> no, no jerks. They're all great. No, it sounds like you got to be a good guy to get in this group. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's a. It, there have been actually some contentious moments in the chat, but not very many. Yeah. Yeah. And how often do people get on there and chat? Oh, I have to have my alerts off, otherwise the phone would never stop. Really? Yeah. And especially if somebody's deep, like the last three runs that people were doing when Femi was having his run, th- there were a hundred notifications a day. Uh, with everybody rooting him on and and telling everybody where they could watch the live stream and what was happening and pictures and chip counts and and updates and uh, yeah it was great. Now I noticed Tony Burns is a slum donkey. Tony Ralph, Burns, Ralph Brandt, Ralph Brandt mm-hmm. is the tournament director at the Isle is also a slum donkey. Yes. So uh, you know it's just the guys that you see regularly when you walk when I walk into a tournament to cover it, final table or maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, you know I see these same names and match up with the I've come to recognize them for, for their names yes. because of that. And it's fun, too, when you knock one of them out and, and two slum donkeys are battling and they, they one knocks the other <laughs> one out and then it's fun on the chat. So yeah. how do you identify yourself? Uh, do you uh, do you, you don't. I mean, you knock everybody out that you can, and if you find out it was a slum donkey, okay, <laughs> a little donkey on donkey violence, that's all. And when you get into a chat like that, like when Femi was uh, winning the Big 50, uh, hundreds of people on there? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. A couple hundred people on there watching all the chats with at least uh, 20 or 30 actively involved in, in what's going on. And tell me a little bit about the group. Uh, it kind of like a, has a charitable aspect to it, that uh, guys play in charities and stuff like that. Uh, that's something I read here on their, their uh, about I, I think that that's always been the philosophy also with with Kobe, with the SoFlow, uh, and, and I think that Luis wants to donate 35% of what he won. Yeah, that, that, that's what I heard, yeah. The, I think the guys in the group are are playing not necessarily for uh, for money for themselves. I'm sure they everybody wants to win uh, money, but if they get a chance to win and donate, that's even better. Well, they, say, they say the only time we support poker for money is when money has to be raised for some charity work. So we are full-time supporters well, and promoters. Well, uh, if you go to one of the local fundraisers, like the one that Noah Schwartz hosted this year, um, the JCC fundraiser. Oh, the, the, Hard Rock, the Cohen Brothers. Yes, you will see a ton of slum donkeys there supporting any of the charity events like that. Right.
the grinder I used to host that, and now the last yes. few years it's been uh, Noah. Noah. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard Mash won six hundred sixty-two thousand. Good for so, him. I mean, what a huge uh, day for him. Uh, because there was almost 6,000 players in the seniors tournament, which is outstanding. Yeah, and it's great that he almost couldn't qualify. I think he just turned 50. And really? He, and then he wins <laughs> it, which is great. So, oh, that's good awesome. for him. That is awesome. Um, he defeated uh, Jean-René Fontaine uh, and did play, and uh, they were the final two, uh, the top two players in the chip counts uh, heading into that final day. And, uh so, where is Howard from? Is he down here in South Carolina? Howard's down here. You yeah. can see him at the Hard Rock almost any night. And Louis, speaking of chip counts, Luis had such a massive chip lead going into the finals. It was it was almost like it was a typo. He had so many chips. Really? Yeah. And is that tough to hang on? I think he felt like it was his tournament to win. Is it like uh, Gary Woodland in the U.S. Open yesterday? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Three hundred nineteen thousand prior winnings. So here's another guy who has the career right doubles his cash. doubles his lifetime winnings in one tournament. And uh, he said it's like a hobby for him, but a serious hobby. Yeah, I, I, I guess he's a financial advisor. I, I think Howard is is another guy who just has fun at the tables, fun at, with you playing a tournament. And if he happens to bink one like that, it's it's again just a life changing event. And it's great news for poker that uh, the, the seniors' uh, numbers have gone up. Uh, yes. You know, huge in the last few years. Uh, you had the one guy that won the super seniors two years in a row, uh, but uh, you know that's still to come. But uh, you know, it's not like it's going to be a lot of guys that you've heard of. You know, I mean, uh, I guess eventually uh, Negranu and Helmuth and people like that might, play, might, a might play a event. senior event. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of a lot of good stuff, and uh, there's been some great tournaments out there. Let's talk about the grinder just for a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't know how well you know him. I've known him since he was about 17. I've been playing with okay. him and with Robbie. Okay. Um, know the family very well. And I s- saw Stacy uh, posted. I don't know. If, I don't think she's out there. She, I don't think she's playing this year. Maybe she'll get Maybe out she'll for, the for the main. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, but you know, it, it just seems like after. You hear so much, and of course he's won the the Poker Players Championship, which is a phenomenal two out of three years, right. and just a phenomenal accomplishment there. But you go through the year, and you you don't see him for a while. There's so many good players now that it's not like it's the same people over and over again. It's always new faces winning a lot of these events. But you know, a huge tournament comes here, and uh, he had the chip lead and lost the chip lead. Went down to the last of four players in chip counts, and then fought his way back. So right. And Howard did the same thing. Howard was bottom of the chip console. But, yeah, Grinder is a great player. Uh, that's his fifth bracelet. Uh, he's got Hall of Fame stats, and, and it's great to see him win. It's, it's, even if he doesn't win anything the whole year, if he, if he wins one during the World Series, it, it brings him back into uh, the trend. So yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, <laughs> totally out of the question that he would lose a chip lead because he will – play any two cards uh, and everybody knows that that's what makes him so tough i think right and he will uh he will play something crazy once in a while and sometimes you can catch him and uh if it's early in the tournament you might knock him out but late in the tournament when he has the chips you know you, he's it's tough to get rid correct. of correct and and he will accumulate a lot of chips that way or he'll be out so when he does accumulate he's gonna have a chance to go deep and and possibly win the tournament. Now, tell me about your play a little bit. I know, uh, obviously, I pop out there and I see you from time to time, and it seems like you've been running pretty deep. You did, uh, you did great in the uh, 
uh, Coconut Creek uh, circuit event. You had a couple where you went pretty deep. Right. And uh, I don't know if you had have, have you had any final tables. You had one final table that there was a big chop, and you were part of that. Right. I haven't played that much because I've had a lot going on with uh, with family and work. But uh, but when I've played, I've had uh, I've had some good results. It seems like this has been a really good year for you. The last the twelve months. Yeah, I'm having fun. Yeah. Uh, and what about the the talk with people go? Oh, I haven't seen you in any tournaments. Uh, you know, playing deep. Whether it's the fact that you're just not playing or you're just not having a good run of cards or, you know, I, I kind of laugh and, and talk to people, did, did you lose your skills or anything like that? But it has nothing to do with that. No, uh, I feel like I could not play for months and go and play and I would be comfortable playing. But uh, these days I think you you do have to constantly be working on your game, uh, reading, practicing, doing anything that you can to try to keep up with the younger crowd because that's what they're doing. How much reading do you do? Do you watch uh, every videos? Day. Do you I, watch, every day. Every uh, day. Yeah. Card runners or I'm anything like that. I'm always reading articles and 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 working on uh, my game, even if I'm not playing. Every single day, I'm reading articles and and looking at what's going on. So, would you consider yourself a pro- professional or a semi-pro? Uh, I would say semi. Yeah. And I, I because just, it's not your main source. Of no, it. and it, and it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, and I don't know. Uh, when I was doing it for a living, it was not as much fun as, as it is now. Tell but me about that. I, I'm curious about that. A lot of people say, oh, oh uh, what a great life. And then Joe tells me uh, it's a hard way to make an easy living. You know, I, so. <laughs> it, it's a grind, and if you're willing to put in the hour, the only way that I was able to do it was with cash games. I was never able to make a living off of tournaments. So cash games are a grind, and it's a lot of hours. And sometimes the game that is good is is a long way away and you need to drive to it and not everybody's willing to do that willing to stick it out and and when you don't play you're not making any money so it's there's no residual it's it's tough I mean, yeah. you get and these days with so many good players out there it's even tougher than it was when i was doing it so anybody that would like to uh get into the business says i would like to be a full-time pro do you do you kind of talk them off the ledge or do you do you say uh you know Make sure you have your living made and then uh, supplement it when you can. With That's that, the best way to with do that it. would be the, uh, the perfect way to do it. If you have, your, if you have your, your monthly not covered and you can go and make extra money playing poker, I think you can, you can do really well but as a supplement. But trying to make it as a living, you, you need to have a big bankroll and you need to be meticulous in your habits. You can't have any leaks and you've got to be really uh, focused and... And and pick your games carefully. How has it changed over the years? You've been in the game a long time. Uh, you know, obviously, if you were online from 2003 to 2006, mm-hmm. before the first uh, UIGEA came out, you know, there was just mountains of cash to be made online, and that changed. And then, the, obviously, because people couldn't play online, they went to the live places, and that made the game tougher. Right. The cash games were really good. Uh, and that didn't change uh, in, until really a few years ago that it became super tough. It, that's why game selection is so important. But uh, the biggest change in the way that people play tournaments was because of reentry. It went, in a freeze-out tournament, you can't play your crazy. chips. Yeah, you can't play crazy and try to accumulate because if you bust, you bust. But with reentry, you can you can do that. So that's changed the tournament games. With cash games, you can do the same thing, though. If you want to rebuy 20 times in a cash game right. and eventually get your money back, you have the opportunity to do that. Do you hate the re-entry aspect of the game? No, it just changes the way that I play I it. I mean, obviously, the house loves it. You know, They can put these big guarantees out there, have no trouble making them. 
But to me, uh, you know, the guy like me, the poor schlepper out there that maybe saved up a bunch of money to play one event, uh, these weekend warriors that play the $1,000 events, it's horrible for them because someone can come in and buy in eight, nine times, and uh, you have to beat them several times, and they may be a way better player than you. Well, but we do have people in South Florida who buy in eight or nine or ten times, and they don't make it to day two. So that, you know, it, it does increase the size of the prize pool. It does put a lot of cash in the till. Absolutely. So uh, your life here in South Florida as a semi-pro has got to be pretty good right now with uh, all the places that have these great tournaments. Tournaments everywhere, cash games every day. If somebody wants to be a poker player, South Florida is a perfect place to do it. How about some of the smaller places? Everybody's heard about the Hard Rock. We know it's packed. Uh, We know they have these huge multi-million dollar events with name players. Uh, do you get much around? You probably play the Isles somewhat. Do you get around to like a Mardi Gras or a uh, Dania? I don't, but there are private cash games that are played at Mardi Gras and Dania that, that there's some big money Dania games. Dania has a big one. I think yes. it's a 25 game. They have a big one, and Coconut Creek has a big one. So those still exist. And, and private games outside of the casino are still around. Uh, there are games very close to here that are great cash games. Seems like if you had the patience, you could go to some of these places where there's a lot of really fish, uh, bad players, and it would take you a lot longer to make that kind of money, but you would probably leave with cash every day. Uh, Right. So not every day, but if your stats are, even if you're winning six times out of ten, but your wins are double your losses, you're coming out with a big profit. So every ten times, you, you only have to win six times. That, that would be enough. Okay. Uh, it's a great situation. It's only going to get better. Uh, of course, the Hard Rock, we'll be talking about some of their situation. They have uh, decided not to pay the state of Florida anymore, which makes, I guess, puts pressure on the state to get the compact done and, and change that. But they're unhappy that uh, all these uh, smaller places have these um, player-banked games. Correct. The uh, three-card poker and the ultimate hold'em and whatever they're called, but two-card poker, three-card poker. They also they also want their piece of, of sports betting. They want to be right. in a place where you can come and, and bet sports and nobody will go anywhere else if they get it. Well, the exciting thing about that was that they actually got it, had discussions during the legislature, and the Hard Rock was talking about being the hub for all these places, and in response, the, some of these other paramutuals would get blackjack and stuff like that. So at least the discussion was there. They just started too late in the session, and they ran out of time. And we have a new governor, Ron DeSantis, that uh, you know is going to be a lot different from uh, Rick Scott. And uh, things will change a lot. But uh, the Seminoles almost have the uh, Guitar Hotel ready to roll. Uh, they've set a date of October 24th to open that. It won't be ready for the uh, the October series, the Summer Hard Rock Poker Open, but um, you got to think that that is just going to make this place explode if it hasn't already. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. The new poker room is supposed to be amazing. What have you heard about uh, amenities that, that would be different from uh, what's there now? I, I, I haven't, but I can imagine that Tony's going to make right. sure that that room is, is A1A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, and uh, I'm sure we'll see some previews of that pretty soon. Let's take our first break in the show. A few more things to talk about. Uh, There's one uh, 
situation from the World Series of Poker that I want to get into in depth, and that was the Sam Sovereign situation in the super uh, the fifty thousand dollar high roller event where he folded out of turn. I want to talk about that because we've looked at the video, and uh, Michael has some thoughts on that. So we'll get to that. Uh, we'll talk about what's going on in a couple of re- really big tournaments right now. Sean Deeb uh, was the chip leader in one of them. Uh, also the shootout, the $3,000 shootout. Justin Bonomo was one of the final ten players in that. It's already been a limit, the first player eliminated, which is uh, kind of shocking. But we'll talk about what's happening now, some of the things that have just gotten uh, finished, and we'll look ahead to the main event and some of those other things when we come back. We'll be back with more of the show. Big Dave Lemon and Michael Tate tonight here in the studio. And we'll be back after these messages on Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Okay, kids, the car's packed up and the campfire is out. Let's hit the road. Uh, Dad, the fire's not out. You can see it's still smoking. Oh, uh, close enough. Close enough? If it's too hot to touch, then it's too hot to leave. You could burn down this forest. Not to mention our whole neighborhood. Come on, Dad, do your homework. Nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans. Did I say we were leaving? I was kidding. <laughs> Sure you were, Dad. Are you going to tell your mom about this? Oh, yeah. Great. You're never too young to get your Smokey on. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. A public service message brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro, is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt, race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events, NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon and Michael Tate tonight in the studio. Joe is out of town up in New York. Uh, He will be back next week. But uh, the World Series rolls along, and uh, about 30 tournaments are done already, which is not even the halfway point now with so many tournaments. Uh, Just your quick thought about, is there an oversaturation here? I mean, obviously they added, I mean, there's 89 bracelets, counting the nine online events. But I can remember when we were in the 50s and then the 60s, and now we got 80 live tournaments. And there's so much happening out there, but because... It's still seven weeks. They're kind of overlapping really quick, and you really got to scramble to try, try to, stay up to stay up with it. Right, and not only that, there are tournaments going at almost all the other casinos at the same time. So if you want to... Which I don't hear about, but I, I know are huge this year. Yes. And so the, at the Venetian, at the Bellagio, at the, at the Aria, uh, there's always something that you could be playing. You could have five tournaments in the same day that are all good options, and you maybe... You 
pick one, you get busted out, you run to another one. But no, I don't think it's oversaturated. It's great. Let them. Let people have a chance to win bracelets. Let's just get bigger, bigger, and bigger because it brings more people into the game. Yes. Uh, there's a story I might want to get to at the end about uh, a new movie that's coming out about women in poker, and they're actually going to have a booth out there. They rented a whole big room at the Rio for people to hang out. They're going to be shooting uh, stuff. It was the woman who wrote uh, the book called Black Widow Poker, and now she's putting together a film. But... Uh, we haven't been able to get over about 4% uh, in the main event for women. Uh, and they just had the uh, big 50, and the number for that was over 7%. So a lot of women playing tournaments now, and a lot of women doing well. But uh, Poker Palace is going to be the name of this film. But uh, they are just in production now and going to be shooting a lot of stuff out there this week. But, again, you know how much uh, Joe and I have tried to promote women in poker and how that's the frontier, last frontier of the game. And it has been for many years. Uh, but the more and more people we get in the game, it's just so exciting. Uh, I think it's great. The, m- the more women that we can get in to play, the better. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about your going out to the main event this year. You, you uh, again, mentioned that because you were busy that you're not playing a lot of different events. Uh, when you see all these guys uh, that you know winning tournaments, are you like, wow, you know, maybe I have better plans next year to get out there earlier? No, I'm just, I'm happy for them, and I think, great, if, if you know, if they can do it, then so can I. And, and uh, I love when I see people that I know win a bracelet or do well in a tournament. Now, you usually play the main every year, don't you? And you come up with the money, you get I backers, or uh, what? Well, I have a backer this year. Uh, I hope that I hand him a big check at the end because we split whatever I get 50-50. So he puts me in, and, and we split uh, the money 50-50. But you've already qualified due to a satellite, which you said you played at uh, Commerce? No, that was for the LAPC. Oh, I went, okay. I went out to California to play the LAPC. Oh, okay, Only play you. a satellite for okay. it, won my seat. In the sat- in the main. So you haven't satellite into the main. No, I'm not going to satellite in the main. The, backer. I, the backer's paying the 10000 and I'm just going to fly in, buy in, and hopefully do well. And what day, uh, it, how do you choose your opening day? I think one of the days is the 4th of July this year. I, uh, I actually, the third, fourth, I actually may do it on the 4th. Yeah. Uh, how do you decide? Would you? A lot of people think that playing the first day might be a little smaller field. Maybe that's better. Uh, the big field at the end might be a little weaker players coming in at the last second because they got other jobs. What's uh, How do you plan that out? I, I don't really plan it, whatever it turns out to be the best day, but I've played the first day uh, usually because that, that gives me like three days off before I play again. But I, You like that? I do, uh-huh. but whichever day I play, if I, if I play one of the last days, I'm looking to see what happened the first two days what's the average stack coming in, how many people made it through, and, and make determinations based on that. But it doesn't matter. Whatever day I play, I'm, I'm going to be playing the same way. And I think the management of the WSOP says the main event will always be a freeze-out. It seems like su- it's such a dinosaur. Now, I, I hope it? so. It's the I love that one. I, I absolutely that. love playing a, a, a big freeze-out like that. And it does affect, obviously, the uh, the way people play. Yeah, uh, your, your yeah. chips matter. You can't go to the cage and rebuy. <laughs> yeah. But there is stuff out there. If you go out and you get blown out early, it's not like there's nothing else to do because there's even tournaments, uh, more tournaments to come in the ma- in the WSOP, not to mention all the other uh, locations. Right. There's also tournaments at the Venetian. The Win uh, has tournaments afterwards. The Rio also has tournaments after the, that start after the main. There, there are chances for people that whole week afterwards, if you bust out, to stay out there and, and play more tournaments. 
And uh, and it, where do you do as far as location? Uh, is that a huge part of your plan for the trip uh, to get your hotel reservations early? Do you want to stay at the Rio? Uh, where do you usually go? I like staying at the Rio. A lot do of people you? don't because it's an older casino. The rooms are not necessarily the best, but I like being Still nice, there. Still nice, though. I, I think it's great, and I like being where I'm playing. So if I if I want to do the dinner break or any break at my in my room, I can, and, and I don't have to Uber anywhere. I'm I'm right there where I'm playing. I, I haven't been out the last two years, but uh, I think I went. Th- I've gone three times since I started doing the show. The first year, I stayed at the Rio. For like $59 a night. I think that there's no way you can get those kind of rates now. But uh, back then, uh, it was it was great. It was uh, I think I stayed four or five days and super reasonable price. Next year, I tried a, uh, a price line, and I ended up uh, off the strip in a place called Blair House Suites, okay. which was a kind of, not a dump, but it was... Uh, <laughs> You know, I think I put in two and a half stars or something like that, and it was the rooms were fine, but it wasn't a mega, you know, skyscraper type hotel like they find out there. If and you plan ahead and you book your room far enough in advance for the Rio, you get the, uh, a World Series of Poker rate. You can still get really good rates, like cheap, sixty nine dollars maybe a low, night. And then now they always have a resort fee. All the hotels yeah. in Vegas do now. If like you are tw- like twenty five a night or something, uh, sometimes more. Yes. Yeah. Fifty says he was just out there. Uh, The third year I went, which was the last time I've been there, I think was 2016. uh, I stayed at the Palms, which is right across the street, walking distance. Uh, I liked it. Uh, You know, a lot of people run down the Palms and that sort of thing, but uh, I think it's very convenient to if you can't stay at the Rio because of the demand for the rooms. If you stay right there, uh, Gold Coast next door, I don't know what you think about that. But uh, I've never stayed at, like, the Ari or the Cosmopolitan or anything like that. But oh, that's the, probably fun, too. The Bellagio's right down the street also. If you stay there, it's a, it's, a very, it's a walk or a very short cab ride. Have you tried them all? Have you been to Venetian? And yes, uh, I've stayed at Have you stayed at Hooters? A, I have not, but I've <laughs> stayed at almost every <laughs> casino out there. Uh, i got friends that are involved in the Hooters. Uh, I can remember when they first started out there, but... You know, hey, I wouldn't mind staying at Mandalay Bay or, uh, you know, places on the end. Or I, one year I stayed downtown uh, for something. I don't think it was for the World Series, but I think, uh, you know, on uh, on Fremont Street. That's kind of a different experience and, and fun, too. Yes, and uh, not a place that you want to be at night, necessarily. Really? Yeah, not in the downtown area. Why do you say? Uh, it's Crime? Bit, yeah, it's a little sketchy. Yeah. You can ride the you can ride the zip line and get away from uh, someone trying to rob you. That's I guess. true. Anyway, uh, so a lot of great stuff out there, and uh, things have changed over the years. More hotels coming and going, and um, it's fun. Uh, how about the weather? 110 degrees. But it's dry. It's a dry heat. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're walking around, it's 110. But it it's is dry. warm, though. I tell you. Yeah. Uh, I don't do a lot of walking out. Yeah, there. so you don't you don't go this uh, sightseeing Uber uh, Ubering around. No, uh, that's another reason why Henderson. I like to stay. At, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm looking. I'm, I'm either at playing poker or I'm at the buffet or I'm up in my room. Yeah, buffets are great. Good food, cheap. Not not good food everywhere, but uh, let's say uh, great. Well, how about the reputation of the Rio? And uh, let's just talk about the Rio for a second because there's a good chance this will be the last year. And you said that's probably a good thing. You know, it's uh, served its purpose for since I think 2004. It has. They've, yeah, they've done a great job. And uh, done a nice job. 
there's also talk about uh, Caesars being sold, and uh, you know who knows what that would do to some of these places. You would think that maybe they try to move it to Caesars Palace or, or someplace there. I'm not sure what all the facilities are like, but what would you like to see if if they don't play at the Rio? Yeah, I, I think because the Rio might be a ballpark in ten it, it in could five be. years. I think Caesars would be a great place to have it. It would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's a great location, and uh, I, I think that they would have the facilities to, to hold it. Yeah. And there's li- latest talk is that uh, El Dorado, which now owns the Isle down here, uh, the El Dorado has places all over the country. I've been to the El Dorado in, uh, sh- in uh, Bossier City, Shreveport, and uh, a couple other different places. But they are talking about with uh, com- joining with Caesars to try to have some sort of merger and uh, – there's a, so many questions that uh, nobody knows what's going to happen, but I think, and I'm not positive, but uh, from what I hear, that this could be the end of an era. What do you think? I think I think it might be and the last good, year. And, and a good thing? But I, I think so. I think it's time. Uh, Carl Icahn, a billionaire, he owns uh, 10% of Caesars and was pushing for a sale. Uh, El Dorado, and, and I think that Caesars has a huge amount of debt. On the books, so their valuation is pretty screwed up. But uh, who knows? Uh, there's been talk about the gold, owner of the Golden Nugget, uh, Tillman Fertitta, who also owns the Houston Rockets, uh, could in- get involved. And of course, we're seeing all kinds of the sports book stuff, which is pretty exciting out there. Have, has that affected the World Series of Poker? Uh, probably not so much in Vegas in the World Series, but at different places around the country, that sports betting is becoming really huge in in all different places. I think it's having a huge impact on everything, and and it's only going to get bigger as more and more states it becomes legal, and uh, it, it it's going to have a an impact on poker because a lot of poker players do gamble gamble yeah. on sports. Absolutely. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, the the tournaments that have been played thus far is that uh, the winner of uh, Deuce Seven single draw. $10,000 buy-in, was a man named Jim Bechtel, who won the World Series of Poker main event 26 years ago. Good for 1993. him. 1993. What a comeback. Yeah, absolutely. It's the longest span between bracelets. Uh, used to be Chip Reese held that title between his second and third bracelets, 24 years. But he said it's only the uh, second tournament he's played there, played at the World Series. Uh, the, the last one was the 10000 main event. And... He Four or five years ago, he won 27000 So he's basically gotten out of the game, but he ends up winning uh, a bracelet once yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great story. Just a lot of huge stories coming out of uh, some of these victories here. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into this other uh, situation here, um, do you watch any of these tournaments out there? I mean, obviously you can learn some stuff from watching poker on TV, but you know, do you watch it for entertainment and see... What's happening, or you just maybe if you hear one, someone you know is maybe running deep. Pretty much somebody I know. If I uh, otherwise, I'm not watching too much for entertainment. I'm I, I'm more interested in reading articles and and looking at hand histories than watching on TV. And what do you learn from the hand histories? Uh, how much? What kind of a learning process involved there? I, I'd really. It's an honest question for me because. I don't think I can remember hand histories of, of my own right. for it's more than a, you know, a week. These, these days, uh, if you can if you can put somebody on a range, and a lot of people are using problem solver, and and, and uh, it's a way to to be able to exploit and to be able to win pots when you don't have the best hand, which is really why 
in poker, if you can do that, you have such a huge edge. If you're playing blackjack, you only win if you have a better hand than the dealer. But in poker, you can win with the worst hand by getting the other person off their hand. Right. So th that's what a lot of the game is now. If you're if you can only win at poker when you have the best hand, you have a huge disadvantage. But what do you tie in with that uh, by looking at the the way people play, and maybe taking the first hour at a table to figure out, you know, what the, kind of play they're yeah the way that, the way that they play, uh, the way that they are managing their their chip stack, if it, and uh, certainly how they play when it gets closer, when they have less big blinds, if it's getting to bubble time, and, and there are ways to exploit someone when you can put them on a big hand, but you know that they can't call for their whole stack with that hand. Now, what is the difference with the cash games out there? Um, is it a different type of player? And I mean, because you think, well, you know, here I am in a cash game at 2 in the morning. Uh, this guy is going to be playing differently from someone I might match up with in right. a, in a cash, big tournament. Cash games are crazy during the World Series. There's a lot of opportunity to make money because there are so many people out there who are playing because they're there, not necessarily because it's the best idea for them to be playing. And they might be playing a game that is over their head because it's available and it might not be available where they're, where they're from. There are also, if you're staying at the Rio, which is another reason why I like to stay there, you can find games at 2 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning that if you're not staying there, you wouldn't necessarily be there at that right, time, but you could right. go around and see. And that's why game selection is so huge. If you get in the right game with somebody who's throwing a party and just giving away chips, you could make money in a game that maybe is not the best game for you, but because that person's there, it becomes a huge opportunity. Do you check with people in the room? Uh, I know that some brushes make money. Joe has told me in the past that there are guys that uh, maybe tip the brush and say, hey, Give me a text if so-and-so shows up. I don't have those connections, <laughs> but if you know somebody, let me know. Uh, what about moving to a different table? Uh, when a you absolutely. sit down and you go, oh, this this is not good. Uh, again, if, if you don't do that, you're probably, you're probably losing an opportunity because there's no reason to stay at a table, especially at the Rio, when there might be 20 tables playing the game that you're playing. Why would you stay at a table that's just a bad game? Right. Better to get up, walk around, wait for another table, or do anything other than sit in a game that's not good for you. Do you ever, they send you to a table, they call it Michael Tate, uh, table uh, 39, and as you're approaching the table, you see Ari Engel sitting there. Do you turn around and uh, go back well, to the brush? Not Ari, I like Ari, but <laughs> yeah, if I, I've, I'm talking about I've, a good I've player. gone and walked up through really a table, I, I see that there either there aren't a lot of chips on the table, or it looks like a really tight game, or or maybe I know some of the people at the table and they're good players. There's just no reason to play. Mm -hmm. Not out there when there are so many choices. Yeah. It's one thing if I walk into a private cash game in South Florida and, and it's in somebody's home and I'm already there. Uh, I'm probably there anyway because it's a great game. But if it's not, I, I don't have a choice of ten other games. But if you walk away and go back to the brush, uh, how long does it take to get another table? It, Depend that Seconds? I think depends how well you know the brush. Probably you could, you might be back on the bottom of the list. <laughs> Two of the tournaments we're looking at uh, are uh, the uh, No Limit Shootout, and we'll get you some results there. That was the one Justin Bonomo was the first player knocked out, but uh, three thousand dollar No Limit Shootout, and uh, some bracelet winners at the table, including Andrew Lichtenberger and Alexander Papiazin. Uh, Very small field for that tournament. I think they had a couple hundred players, I believe. Really? 
Uh, I will check that when we come back, and, and I will take a look at uh, where that stands right now because that started this afternoon. That's uh, the feature game on uh, Poker Go. Uh, the other one was, uh, let's see if I can remember exactly which one I was looking at. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it when we come back. I'll check the results, and, and we'll get to that. But let's take another break on the program. Uh, Michael Tate joins me tonight, and... Uh, uh, you're missing out on some good parties. The Howard Mash party I heard was a blockbuster. Uh, and and Femi's also. I'm <laughs> sure that they're having a great time out there. The pictures that they're taking with all the slum donkeys together, it's great. The bracelet ceremony, yeah, no. Oh, it, wow. It's yeah, great, I but I'm so I'm so happy for those guys. Good for them. Uh, what about the, uh, well, I'll think about this other tournament when I come back, and we'll talk more about it. But uh, we want to take a break here. Poker Action Line, we'll be back with more of the show. Michael Tate joins me tonight. And we'll be back in just a few moments after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Hi, this is little Steven for Red. We all got to party now and then, but we've got to let somebody else do the driving. Please don't drink and drive, and don't drive with somebody else who's been drinking. Thank you. Announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Michael Tate tonight sitting in. Michael going out for the main event in, uh, in a few weeks, I guess. Uh, Can't wait. I, I was going to ask you that. Are you oh, uh, love that so tournament. excited? That so uh, excited. So happy. So lucky. I mean, you got that six weeks before you're going, right? Oh, no, no, not, not no, no, no. It's no, two more two weeks. weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks yeah. I'm out there. Exactly. Love it. So lucky that I have uh, that I have people who uh, want to put me in the tournament. And this year I picked somebody who's uh, a, a good friend and his money's lucky. And let's see what happens. And 
Does that put so much extra pressure on you? I yeah, I don't like to have anybody lose any money, so I want to definitely want to cash for them. But I yeah, I want to hand them a huge check. So when you go out there, I can remember Bernard Lee talking about strategies. One year he finished thirteenth, and uh, he talked. He said, you know, obviously you can't you can't make the final table unless you get through day one. He said that should be your goal each day is to just make it through the day. Always. Survive the day, get to the next day, and, and uh, everything else takes care of itself. When do you really push to try to up the chip stack? Because let's face it, you know, when you're, when you're making days and you're at the bottom of the chip stacks, you're in trouble, basically. You know, you need a couple of really big hands to be able to push some other people out. You do, but uh, I think after the bubble burst is a traditional time when people look to either accumulate or get out because it might be 500 players, the next 500 that make the exact same amount. So either you make your run right there or uh, or you you get out but you take your shot. So after the bubble is uh, a good time to do that. But, yeah, you've got to survive every day. And, and day one, all you can do is get through the end of day one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, other tournament I was thinking about that uh, Michael was so kind to uh, check out where they stand, and that's two players left. They came back with five players today. I want to talk about this situation, really, because, you know, having been involved in big tournaments out there and how the World Series handles decisions, uh, you would have a good answer, I'm sure, for this. But uh, they came back with five players today. Uh, Sean Deeb was the chip leader. Matt Glantz was still in it. Uh, Adam Friedman was second in chips, and now just Deeb and Friedman are back. And, right. And uh, Friedman won this tournament last year, the dealer's choice. So he's trying to come back and win it for the second year in a row. Uh, Sean Deeb has four bracelets to his credit. Uh, very good player, very well-known player. But what I wanted to ask you was, as they rolled down uh, late in the night last night, uh, they had told the players that, uh, they had planned to play down to six, and then they were going to bag up and come back. Now, it's about only about 7.30 at night, and they're playing down. There's seven players left. And the player that gets knocked out in seventh, uh, let's see, what was the name? It was Phil Wee, who's from South Florida. Yeah, you sure. You know Phil real well, I'm sure. sure. Played with him a lot. Uh, who goes out Good with Lonnie guy. Harwood. Uh, yes. Really an excellent guy. And uh, I see him occasionally at the Wawa in, in right near my house. Okay. So he must live in my area. Uh, he gets knocked out in seventh place. The next hand, Nick Schulman, the uh, broadcaster, who does a great mm-hmm. job, and gets knocked out in sixth. Now, why they continued after that one, I guess they figured, well, it's still pretty early. Maybe we'll play down a little bit. So they ended up with five players. Uh, they go to a break. When they come back... Uh, The tournament supervisor, Dennis Jones, had had a discussion with Jack Heffel, and he decides that they want to bag up with five players and come back the next day. Two of the players, or first they start getting ready to play, and two of the players, Adam Friedman and Mike McKenna, objected to continuing to play. Two other players, Deeb and Glantz, wanted to play on. So there's kind of a big hubbub about that, and they finally decide, uh, after talking with Ethel, that they are going to bag and come back with five players. What's your thought on that? Uh, Deep said, you know, hey, I would have done things differently during the break. I would have signed up for the online event. Uh, I wanted to play the stud championship tomorrow. There's so many things going on. I want to keep playing. 
And these two guys, they don't want to play. So uh, what, what do you think about that? But if, if the structure said they were going to play to five and then and They then were going to play to six. Is to what six and play. stop. Then they screwed that up by continuing to play when they still had uh, right. six. Right, so they went one pass. Uh, I would... I could understand why if the structure said they're going to play to six and then two people said, yes, they want to stop, that that would be that would be it. If everybody agreed to continue, they would probably continue playing. Just like in a chop. you got to have everybody. Just like in a chop. And just like uh, sometimes when the at, at a Hard Rock tournament, when it gets to be three in the morning, if there's one table left, if everybody agrees, they play. But if not, it comes back to the next day. So everybody's got to agree to change the the structure. Okay. Um, two players left in that one now. You have the chip count, so is it close? Uh, can you look that up real quick? Sure. Uh, well I've played with Adam before, by the way. Good good player. Very yeah, solid. really good. Really good player. Yes. And do you like playing in a dealer's choice event where you can uh, I've have never, 18 I've different never games? Played, <laughs> I've never played one. I, I wouldn't know how to play half the games <laughs> or more. When someone goes, uh, Badesi. Yeah, Badusi I know how to play. But Badusi is but, uh, I know how to knows? play too, but I don't know how to play Badesi. Uh, so right now Adam's got four point three million to Sean's three million. Okay, so we still got a ways to go here, head to head. Uh, also, uh, the other tournament was the three thousand uh, dollar. See if you can uh, check who's on yep. top there. Uh, the three thousand uh, dollar uh, shootout, which was uh, you know right. So six players left in that. Um, down to uh, six. Thing has got a, a million and a half, and Andrew Lichtenberg right behind with a million four. And who was the first one? Uh, uh, Wee Zhang. Weezang. And then uh, Joanne uh, Gilbert with 1.3, but six six left in that one. And uh, I wanted to check and see how many players were in that one. Uh, that one had 313 players okay. in the shootout. Uh, do you like shootouts? I Sounds like you kind of had a ex- little experience with that, with your uh, qualifying at, out in L.A. Right, which was actually a reverse shootout. Uh, my problem with shootouts is that when it gets to the end of your table, which you have to win, it's inevitably going to come down to a coin flip and you're flipping to advance you're not flipping to to see who's got the chip lead and somebody else not going to have the chip lead but you're but you're continuing the tournament somebody's going to be out and based on your on your table draw that could be uh that could be very different uh, the table that you get. So I'm not I'm not big on shootouts so what I was talking about the LA Commerce which is amazing the satellites were a reverse Shootout. So when we got to the point where it would traditionally be a bubble, and it would be hand-for-hand play, and in that scenario, you could sometimes have people slow playing or a collusion or soft play or anything with people trying to make a trying to get their seat. And what they did was they redrew the whole tournament. And at your table, you played until someone got knocked out. And when that person got knocked out at your table, everybody else at your table got their seat, which wow. was amazing. It was a great way to play. My table happened to be one hand that we played. We redrew, we played one hand, somebody got knocked out, and that was it. We all got our seats. Is that a trend for the future? I, I would love it. Other tables had to play for an hour to get somebody to knock out, but you, it forces you to play, and there's no hand for hand. And, uh, and, and a lot of people, though, that bubble, because in our tournament we had seven tables of nine players, so seven people stone bubbled the, wow. the satellite. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun yeah. when you do that. Yeah, I've been I've bubbled one tournament one time and uh it was not a good feeling. 
<laughs> it's, a, no, it's a horrible even, feeling. Even though it was probably for maybe a couple hundred dollars. It doesn't matter. It's a horrible <laughs> feeling. You played all that time, and then you, you go out right before the money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, ter- the hand I wanted to talk about, and I, we mentioned it briefly with Joe last week, but Michael brings a whole different perspective to this. Uh, Joe is more of a floor guy, a f- dealer, and, and he looks at some of these things in a certain way. Michael, as a player, uh, sees some of the... Uh, the thoughts behind it, and that is the hand that Sam Sovereign was playing at the uh, 50,000 high roller. It was early in the uh, series, event number five, uh, 100 and play, 110 players, so they had a one point, almost $1.5 million prize pool. So a lot of money. There's four players left. Uh, Lichtenberger was still in that one. Ben Heath, the eventual winner, uh, has, was second in chips, and also Sam Sovereign and Dmitry Urasov. So they were playing there, and, uh, you know, I get all these hands screwed up, but Yurasov uh, had ace-ten of diamonds. Right, so Sam, Sam Min raised under the gun with jack-nine of spades. spades. Okay, right. and in be- the first one to act was Heath, uh, who had uh, ace-queen of hearts. Uh, so Yurasov is, uh, like, the fourth one in, in the order to act, and uh, Lichtenberger, I think, had folded already, so... Uh, Ben Heath raised, and the decision is on Sam Sovereign. No, no, no. Sam, Sam Min raised. Okay. And well, I mean first, but when it went around. Oh. Okay. Yeah, he bet like 400K. He made it 400, and then. Urasov raised. Raised, raised all, all in. in. Okay. Right. For about the same stack that Sam had. Okay. And then Andrew folded, and now it's on, okay. on Heath. So now it's on Heath. Uh, he's trying to make a decision. This was one of the things where they're in the, since they're down to four players, they have the time extension chips. And he's sitting there thinking, uh, eventually pushes out a time extension chip. And like I said, it was kind of, to me, uh, a little strange that he just kind of just slid it out. He didn't really pick it up and throw it and didn't really say anything, which he doesn't have to. Uh, Sovereign immediately mucks his cards, uh, folding. But Heath had not acted yet. So it's an out-of-turn fold, which, of course... Is horrible for Urasov because, you know, Heath now only has one player to deal with, so he's obviously going to stay in, and Urasov ends up getting knocked out. Uh, you looked at the tape. Uh, there was con- there was considerable uh, controversy on both sides. Some people said, well, you know, it's an honest mistake. Uh, you don't think there should have been a penalty. Uh, other players, one of the uh, angriest was Ike Haxton who said he should have been disqualified and uh, given fourth-place money. Uh, and other people said there should have been some kind of penalty where you know, it was long enough, like maybe two, three orbits, where he would have ended up finishing in third and didn't have a chance to win a tournament. So what are your thoughts on the whole thing, how it, how it came out, and, and whether it was purposely done as an angle? Right. So I don't know if anybody's going to know if it was a on purpose, except for Sam. And I've played with Sam since he was 18 years old, and he had long, scraggly hair, and we used to play in the Palm Beach Kennel Club. Uh, Do you like him? Yeah, I did like him. I think he's a good guy. And I get along with him whenever I see him at a tournament. Uh, And and so I I think that Heath is making the call anyway with ace-queen of hearts. It does make it much easier when the the under-the-gun razor folds, of course, and gets out of the way. Now it's only him, and he's got the chips to call, and it... I think he was going to call anyway. It, my problem with the time extension is that it could look like one chip, which one chip, throwing out one chip is a call. Uh, 
it 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 could be eliminated that that issue could be eliminated if you put in your time extension chips at the end of the hand instead of during the hand. Sam was not looking at Ben when he threw out his 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 extension. All he saw was a motion. Did he think it was cards? Did he think it was a chip? I don't know. He then looked after he realized something was thrown out. He looked again at his cards and mucked, and then acted shocked when he realized that Ben still had his cards in. Which you think? Would you agree that you think that was kind of an act, a little over the top acting? Well, whether it was or whether it wasn't, whether, even if it was a mistake, I still think it's a penalty because just because you didn't intend to do something, if you made a mistake, and uh, especially something of that magnitude, which is huge. Uh, it's got to be a penalty. What the penalty should be, I don't know. I've, I've heard people say up to three rounds before they would DQ someone. Uh, I don't know if he deserves fourth place. He, had, he ended up getting third place anyway, but uh, I, I think that mistakes should be penalized because yeah. you don't know someone's intent, so you have to make the, the judgment. Just like if someone prematurely exposes their hand. Right. They might not have intended to, but it still has to be a penalty. And in this case... Uh, whether he would have called or not, it, it did end up uh, uh, having someone get knocked out and forth. That and may he not was have. extremely angry. Uh, got up, went and complained to his friends on the rail. Uh, I guess my question is this: If his last name instead of Urasov was Negranu or uh, Helmuth, would there have been different uh, result from the floor? No, I think there were. There are so many people on the side that you're talking about saying. It was an angle, or he should be DQ'd, and they they don't care that Ace Queen probably would have called anyway. They don't care that he possibly thought it was either a muck or a call. They just think that he should be DQ'd. Maybe those are people who had history with Sam. I don't have that history with him. I you know to me he's a good guy, so I really I really can't say based on that. But I think it's very clear that that mistake needs to be penalized. In social media now, with people posting on Twitter and Facebook, uh, you know, we saw a huge outcry. And, and speaking of past history, uh, Ike Haxton is one that says, uh, you know, he has a reputation for getting lost on his way to a new table. He's about to be big blind. He's mucked losers in mandatory showdown uh, spots, uh, demanded new setups as a stalling tactic. So he's had a pass with him and says, that he did it on purpose. Other so, people, his friends, say, you know, hey, it was an honest mistake. And again, the same way that I think the easy solution with the time chips, not the extension not being confused as a calling chip or as your hand, uh, you do that after the hand. The same way, if you DQ someone who intentionally stalls to not be the big blind at their new table, people will not do that anymore. It's one thing if you get a one-round penalty. If you have enough chips, it doesn't matter, a one-round penalty. But if you're going to be DQ'd, you're going to get to your new table when you're supposed to. And if you're going to be the big blind, you're the big blind. It's such a huge difference now with big blind ante that you're the big blind and the ante when you come to the new table and then the small blind. That could be 25% of your chip stack at certain points of the tournament. It could be huge impact if you don't have a lot of chips. And so if you're able to... Take your time, go into the table, uh, think that you're at the wrong table, look for the number at the table, take longer to rack up your chips before you go to the table, whatever you need to do that if you stall drop for your one chips. hand, drop your chips. <laughs> if you miss one hand at your table and that hand you would have been the big blind, 
Now, instead of being the big blind and the ante and the small blind, you come in, you wait a hand because you're in between, and you come in after the button without having any chips. That's a huge difference. That should be a DQ, and then nobody would ever do it. Yeah. The big blind ante seems like such a good idea for speeding up the game and everything, but it does add one more thing that people can manipulate the results right, for. so they they have to they have to, uh, to have a rule like that. But I think it's great for the game. It's great for the dealers. Uh, you get more hands, which I love having more hands to play, and uh, it stops all the confusion about about who put their ante, who didn't put their ante, change for the ante, all that. Yeah. Well, Ben Heath went on to win the tournament. Uh, Savril finished third. It's kind of interesting because uh, they are showing a series on the World Poker Tour. Uh, of a Bellagio high roller that was played six months ago, and Savril's at the final table. So uh, if people didn't know who he was, they could easily check out uh, you know, the, the program and see who he is. So uh, I think he's also way up in player, uh, player of the Year points yeah. also. Yeah, yeah he had Having a huge a year. last year, last year also. He's become, how about all these guys, uh, these, these guys that played, the, we talked about the slum donkeys, but a lot of these guys that played the aisle every year and traveled in, a lot of them are in the the high rollers now. Uh, Jake Schindler and uh, Barry Hutter and and people like that you played against is is, right. is that uh, something that you see as a big goal for a lot of people now to get to that level? To get to the high roller level? Yeah. I think people think it would be a lot of fun, but you better make a lot of money when you do it because you you might spend a million or two million in tournament entries during the year to play that circuit. So if you don't cash for at least two million, you probably didn't make money. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple weeks away, the main event. Uh, I can't wait. I'll be there. There's always a story coming out of these things. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, uh, you know, it was uh, Will Kasuf, uh, and it just so happened that a friend of ours, Stacy Mattis, yeah, was involved in that. Yes, she and was. We had a couple of really great shows. If people want to look at our archives and, and some entertaining shows with shows that were Stacy came on and talked about that. Uh, that was a big national story for quite some time. Yeah, Stacy's uh, awesome. Yeah, another great. one who I've known since she was a kid. Yeah, she's just she's great. great. Um, the, then, then how, the John Hesp the following year mm-hmm. is, was that was fun. Was just a completely different aspect of the game that showed there are good people who play. And now you brought up some guys tonight that who knows maybe one of them or maybe you will be making the final table in uh, in a story. I mean, I, that would be just a dream, huh? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll do my best. Yeah. Well, we wish you so much luck. Uh, Thank you, Dave. Such Thank a great time. I uh, always appreciate it when you come on the show and add really add something the to it. We do, we do appreciate it. So uh, uh, that's going to do it. Uh, we do appreciate uh, you being here. And, uh, Gio, we appreciate all the work you Thanks do. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Gio. And we will uh, be back next week with Joe back in the studio. And we'll be following all the chips, so uh, we'll be sure and let people know how you're doing. Thank you. Okay. Thanks Thanks for having me. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 